And now gently come back to this room and I invite you to hear the words of Reverend Fran Du. Thank you, Gay. Um, a mentor of mine once said, ministers have to be good at accordion pleats. So we have just accordion pleated a bit of the service this morning. Gay and I were going to do a two-voice reading which would have contrasted or complemented the things that the um, Muslim writings and the Gospel according to Matthew have Jesus saying. And it is really rather remarkable. I'm just going to use one of those examples to start with. And you can guess probably or not, which one comes from where. Jesus used to say, charity does not mean doing good to him who does good to you, for this is to return good for good. Charity means that you should do good to him who does you harm. If you love only those who love you, what reward can you expect? Surely the tax gatherers do as much as that. And if you greet only your brothers, what is extraordinary about that? Surely the heathen do as much. There must be no limit to your goodness, as your heavenly Father's goodness knows no bounds. So, it's today is the Sunday before Easter Sunday, known in the Christian world as Palm Sunday. Uh, there are times when I despair of the bad old days my children grew up in our Unitarian Universalist religious education programs when my daughter, who was then a practicing attorney, said to me, Palm Sunday, that's a Catholic thing, isn't it? And I thought how poorly prepared they are to move out into this dominant society. Because today begins Holy Week for the world's 2.2 billion Christians. As Christian churches celebrate that young and fearless prophet who's riding through the streets of Jerusalem in a, 20, in a first century equivalent of a ticker tape parade. There are church services from Thursday through Friday through Sunday morning when Christians take the triumph of the, of the empty tomb and the resurrection from the crucifixion of Good Friday. And just what's a Unitarian Universalist to do about Palm Sunday? About Easter Sunday or about Jesus on any of the 52 weeks in the year? It's a question whether you know it or not for many of the people who come here, who come here from a church background, who come here from an unchurched background. Because I think in our culture, unless you are Jewish, it is difficult for, many, it, for people to understand how you cannot be a Christian. I mean, the dominant culture really shares the opinion of a UU friend of mine who works for an Episcopal priest who said to her one year during Easter week, I don't see how you can have a church without Jesus at its center. And yet, here we are. 
Several years ago, my daughter was probably expressing a common feeling when she said, God, I can understand, but I just don't get it about Jesus. And I'll never forget the new member in one of my churches who very cheerfully said, Jesus, what's not to like about the guy? (laughs) And you need to know this gentleman was of Hindu descent, and, you know, he was like... So, what's not to like about Jesus? I think people have been trying to get it about Jesus since long before those church councils codified his position as the Son of God. That, that was the, those were the councils that made us the heretics. And uh, our <coughs> Transylvanian cousins carry that banner proudly on into the 21st century. I served as the interim minister for this Santa Rosa Congregation in Sonoma County, California. Sonoma County is the home of the Jesus Seminar. Now, some of you may know about the Jesus Seminar. You may not. I don't know. But they are a group of scholars from all over the country who work diligently to do their own codification of Jesus. They study, they talk, they write papers, and then they vote dropping stones into a receptacle with, did Jesus really say this? Did Jesus really say that? And then they publish what, they, what they've said. I mean, really, you know, what, what do we know about this historic figure? Mostly, it seems to me that I have the same problems with the risen Christ as I do with the Jesus Seminar, because I don't think we know, and I don't think that's the important thing. I think the important thing is we have teachings that Jesus, whoever whoever he was, if he was, promulgated that have carried on in the time since he first spoke them. They are teachings that are not unique to Jesus, Decades ago, there was this lovely little book uh, that had the sayings of Jesus and the sayings of Buddha interposed. Well, now Buddha if you, you know, was 600 years before Jesus. And Buddha was saying the things that Jesus said. I think the thing is, because of Constantine making the Christian church the church of the empire, that's the story we know. But there were a lot of other stories, and there continue to be other stories. So I don't think it matters who Jesus was. I don't think it matters which which Jesus you want to look at. I personally kind of like that young and fearless prophet one, because I think that's the one who has whose teachings, whose model has something to offer us in the way we move in the world. So it was with a surprise for me to find that this Jesus was clearly present in the religious practice of my devout Muslim guide when I traveled in Egypt in 2002. You know, you get to thinking you know something about Islam, you know the five pillars of faith, you're in a Muslim country, you hear the calls and you know people are going to prayer. But I really hadn't thought about Jesus being part of this religious practice of a, of a practicing Muslim. 
So for the world's 1.6 billion Muslims, Jesus does not die on the cross. In the Quran, he is lifted to heaven, leaving behind him a pair of sandals, a wool shirt, and a slingshot. Just picture it. It's such a peaceful image compared to Jesus on the, on the cross. It's such a lovely, peaceful image. And then he's lifted to heaven where he will descend in the last days and like the other prophets, be a witness for his community of believers at the final judgment. Well, when Atiyah, this really sweet young guide we had when we were in Egypt, told me this, it was the final judgment piece that caught my attention because I just hadn't really thought about Jesus having that kind of a role in the way a Muslim looked at his religion. I mean, I knew he was a major prophet because starting with Abraham, you can click off the major prophets for the Jews, add Jesus for the Christians, and then you get up to Muhammad because for them, the last final word prophet. So I was surprised and I began to I began to look at what the connections were. And in my digging around, I discovered this wonderful resource for anyone who wants to do some digging around of their own. There is a book, The Muslim Jesus. The author is Tarif Khalidi, and it is a collection of pre-modern Islamic literary traditions. And in it, it ascribes hundreds of sayings to Jesus because it was developed over a 10-century period of time. Uh, and then the thing that was... Okay, so this is a surprising thing, because if you try to read the Quran, I don't know about... It doesn't read in a literary way, the way the Bible has been reshaped to read, so that you find bits here, bits there, instead of a gospel that tells the whole story all at once. But when Muhammad was receiving the Quran, he was in a place and at a time when Jesus was widely known to diverse Christian communities. This is before the creeds. This is when Christianity was really a rich stew of Christianities and different Jesuses out there. And so that what, what was put into the Quran was part of what Moses received at the time that he was, he was writing things down. Um, and what he wrote down was disregarded by Christian academics until the late 20th century, when they finally started opening up what was in the Dead Sea Scrolls and what was found in Nag Hammadi. And, well, what a surprise. They discovered that those things that were in the Quran were indeed in those unorthodox or apocryphal Christian traditions. The, one, the stories we lost because Constantine wanted one story, and that's what he got, and that's sort of what we're stuck with, is the one story. And so I think what I really want people to go away from today with is to realize that there have always been more stories than the one story. And that we are in the lovely position 
of being able to look at which story is the story that works for us. I mean, you, you can go, you know, there's this, um, there's this um, really religious collection of things that um, have come together in a period of like 900 years. Um, and at the beginning, when, the, when Christianity was coming together, what we think of now as totally Islamic countries had rich, diverse Christianities involved in them. And so during the first three centuries of Islam, there was, there was a lot of rich and diverse images of Jesus. Now, the Quran is full of ethical teachings, and it's good to remember that early Islamic piety cast a wide net. While the Quran mentions only the prophets who were known to the Arabs of that time, because who else could it mention? There are Muslim scholars today who argue that had Muhammad known about Buddhists, or Australian Aborigines, or Hindus, or Native Americans, it would have also endorsed their sages because, according to these modern Islamic prophets, all rightly guided religion that submitted woefully to God, refused to worship man-made deities, and preached justice and equality came from the same divine source. So finding all of this rich treasure trove of Islamic writings, Islamic midrash, really. You know, the Jews take the text and they, scholars argue and they add on and, you know, the, the amount of extra stuff is this high. And I get the feeling with, with um, Muslims, it's the same way. But Christianity, it felt to me, got frozen back with what, um, with what, what, with the idea that you needed one story, that it was dangerous to not have a more diverse story. And just an example from this week's news, you may have heard about the fragment of text that was found and reported last year by a Harvard biblical scholar where Jesus refers to his mother and his wife. Little tiny bit of Aramaic or whatever you know it is. And already it's being rejected by Instead of saying, oh, isn't that interesting? Let's see what we can find. It's being rejected by the, um, by the academic, by staunch um, academics who want to preserve, who want to preserve the status quo, which isn't really what we're about, that preserving of the status quo. So there's a rich treasure trove there, and um, I think that throughout all of the writings, the Islamic writings about Jesus, he is identified as a Muslim prophet without any Christology, not any son of God language at all, but endowed with the attributes which move him beyond the confines of Christianity and highlight, for me, his humanity. In his Muslim habitat, this flesh and blood Jesus becomes a an object of devotion, reverence, and love, who over time becomes a living and vital moral force, demanding to be heard by us, to be heard by all.
If you have had the pleasure of traveling to Transylvania to meet with your partner church people or have them here, and you've had a conversation with them about how it is that they are Christian, I want you to keep in mind one thing I learned when I traveled there. They have never had to deal with Christology. They come from the heretic side of the family. Jesus has always been the young and fearless prophet for them. He has always been the, an object of devotion, reverence, and love, a teacher, an avatar, if you will. They don't carry any of the baggage that we who came out of a Western Christian background or live in a Western Christian culture carry with us. And it was, I was thrilled to be in Transylvania and to get that clear in my head because I'd really spent decades wondering how a Unitarian could say they were a Christian because I'd bought into the whole creed thing too. And it was really nice to just kind of be able to cast that off and say, of course, that really can work. So just as Holy Week services and those scholarly teachings of the Jesus Seminar serve as reminders, so the Muslim Jesus reminds us we have choices. We can choose. We can choose the Jesus that we want to identify with. The images of the cross and the empty tomb, or that wool shirt, two sandals, and a slingshot are but two of the many choices available to us. We are richer for considering the choices. We always can claim, reclaim not only the old story and other stories, but we can reclaim ritual also. Thank you.